Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the show today. We're speaking with a fantastic guest and a guy I've known for a few years, actually, uh, Dr. Joe Gallenberger. Joe, how's it going? Good. How are you doing tonight, Ryan? I'm doing. I'm doing awesome. And man, we have a we have a bunch of questions ready for you. Uh, I'm gonna let the viewers know a little bit about who you are, and you know, we'll we'll get going from there. Okay. Sounds good. Fantastic. So, uh, Joe Gall Dr. Joe Gallenberger is a clinical psychologist. He's been a psychologist and therapist for 30 plus years. He's a trainer. Been a trainer at the Monroe Institute for 26 years. So he's actually really a veteran uh, here in the field with psychokinesis, uh, extended energy healing. He's written multiple books. Uh, Heaven is for Healing is as uh, one of those titles. The reason I wanted to to bring Joe on the show is he has a very unique background. At one point in his life, he was considering becoming a Catholic monastic um, at a very early age. He ended up going down a different path, uh, becoming a psychologist. And his journey teaching these psychokinesis mind over matter courses in Vegas is just one of the most unique things I've ever heard. And I've actually been in groups with other teachers and they they mentioned that there's this guy <laughs> that takes these people to Vegas to do these psychokinesis intensives. So uh, Joe is very, very well known uh, in this specific field of psychokinesis, uh, extended energy and research. So I'm ecstatic to, to have you here. Joe, how did this whole thing get started from you, for you when you were 14? I mean, to, to have this draw to even want to go in a spiritual direction at such a very young age is pretty unusual. So where did this all start? Well, when I was about five or six, Ryan, I had uh, a couple of different experiences with what I call unity consciousness. I just became a point, one with all, and went into ecstasy states. And uh, I didn't tell my parents about that. I didn't want to be put in a mental asylum. But wow. uh, that, um, uh, because I was raised Catholic, began to read a lot of the Christian mystics uh, literature and things. And uh, so decided I'd like to go to a monastery. Uh, they wouldn't take me at that young age. Uh, so the place I found that could was first year of high school, so 14 years old. Um, the, with the uh, Passionist Order, uh, which are was were interesting in that they were uh, cloistered and in silence for half of the time, and the other half they would preach retreats. Okay, and um, so big for full circle. At this point, you know, I do a lot of uh, workshops that are similar in terms of the uh, retreat thing. Right. Um, and I live on a mountaintop, so a lot of times I'm quiet and kind of in the contemplative space, if you will. Uh, so that went on uh, for two years, but I had trouble with um, some of the authority issues, the vow of obedience and things. I was kind of a rebellious guy. Um, Got it. And the adolescence hit full strength and decided I'd get my tail out of there and back into uh, regular life um, and started studying psychology, um, but had a motorcycle accident when I was 21, so in college, and uh, was in um, uh, skeletal traction for six months, uh, body cast for six months, long break, leg brace for 18 months. And so I was going to Catholic University of America for my degree and they had a fellow who had spent over 20 years in India, who was a Jesuit priest. And he came in and did independent study with me in Eastern religions for that time that I was uh, laid up in the caste. Um, and so that gave me some background in Eastern religions. And then I decided to get my PhD in clinical psychology and went ahead and did that. So that's the initial kind of thing. Um, I'd, I'd done out-of-body experience as a kid, and so when I read Bob Monroe's books about out-of-body, got, I got intrigued about Monroe Institute and went there about 30 years ago and loved it. 
and because they have no dogma, they have uh, Buddhist priests come through, and uh, I've trained a few who by midweek of their week-long program were saying, you Americans can go places with this technology that it takes us a decade to get to. Um, so the wow, wow. technology they use is very powerful. And uh, so we have Republicans, Democrats, uh, atheists, uh, fundamental Christians, uh, Buddhists, all kinds of people come through there and their beliefs are respected, but they get tools to meditate a lot more deeply. So um, that got me going with Monroe brought some of that work into my clinical practice and it was very effective at that point. There were a lot of Vietnam vets, for example, and uh, the meditation methods got them to be able to relax for the first time in years, uh, to begin to work psychotherapeutically more easily. Um, became a trainer at Monroe. And then Bob Monroe had some interest in manifestation um, and I helped him design a program or two and in there, uh, we began to see uh, the potential for energy healing and psychokinesis being the same thing and psychokinesis being very studyable. Uh, so I don't know, Ryan, for your audience, maybe we should define what psychokinesis is. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's your what's your definition of that? So... Um, it's the same as telekinesis in the literature. Both those terms mean about the same thing. And many people define it as affecting matter with your mind. I don't like that definition much. To me, the mind is like the steering wheel of a car. It sets intention or direction, okay? But the car goes nowhere without gas. Uh, and in this psychokinesis work, that best energy we can put in the gas tank, if you will, is the energy of unconditional love. It's positive psychologically and spiritually um, and gets you good, consistent results. So um, what we mean is we've done things like hold seeds in our hand and gotten root growth of two inches long in two minutes, uh, bending metal with your mind, lighting light bulbs. Um, they've measured 400 volts off my hands as we're sending energy to light bulbs, uh, rolling dice in patterns. Um, and uh, affecting slot machines. And most of this has been, the general literature now is saying psychokinesis is a Six Sigma event, meaning the meta-analysis of data would say this would not occur even one time in a billion by chance. Uh, so it's a very stringent data. And personally, I went to Princeton Anomalous Engineering Research Lab as a subject and did several experiments getting results uh, 30,001 by chance and better. And that convinced me that I could do it and it's real. And then I started to go to Vegas because I wanted to get a black belt in PK, if you will, or psychokinesis. And Vegas were guaranteed that the uh, slot machines and the dice, we know the statistics and that they're monitored, monitored by the state. So, you know, there's no, uh, distortion in there, so you can really measure what you're doing. So, for example, I might have a goal of going to a slot machine and hitting a royal flush in hearts. I know that's 160,000 to one by chance. If I hit that in the first pull, which I've done, then that's pretty good proof that something's going on. We're not just making it up. And um, at this point, those royal flushes, I think, uh, hit over 16 of them. Uh, so as I began to do that and see the positive results in manifestation in my own life, um, I began to teach it, first individuals and then groups. And we did 99 inner Vegas adventure workshops over the last 20 years. We were having our 100th celebration and COVID came along. So that's been on hold. But over those many workshops, we've had things like People waking up the second day of the workshop, pain-free from post-polio syndrome pain for the first time in 20 years. Uh, lots of healing like that, Incredible. manifestations at home, uh, as well as um, on the dice rolling and things, very good good results. So yeah, on dice, um, the number seven is the most common number. It can come up one time in six. 
out of 36 combinations. And we've had this year before COVID, one lady roll 48 numbers in a row with no seven because we, we aim against the seven there. We aim for pairs. Um, so we've had um, good response to that. And after a while, um, I took that and expanded it at Monroe Institute into a program called MC Squared, Manifestation and Creation Squared, where we do the dice rolling, but also healing circles, since we found this is the same energy as healing. Um, there we've had things like people with yellowed foot fungus nails uh, wake up the next day, the nails completely clear, uh, reports of clear CAT scans on cancer, numbers of things. Um, and that's been going on that MC Squared program for about 20 years. Um, now we do it virtually through MC from Monroe. And uh, the last one I did, I think we had um, two people, Australia, one Thailand, Austria, Switzerland, Ecuador, uh, Germany, U.S., Canada. And around the world, we bent spoons and metal right on Zoom and um, also rolled the dice in patterns. And uh, everybody rolled 10 times, and we know how many doubles. It should be one, one in six for a double. We should get with uh, that many rolls. And we uh, exceeded chance by over 50% on that. So it works on Zoom as well or other Internet platforms. Tonight's my first time on this one, and it looks like very clear audio and video, which is nice. Yeah, um, exactly. Well, MC Squared is a this this is a Zoom or an online retreat, correct? So these people, you and a group, are practicing PK over a period of days, not just one yes. session. Yeah, right. Five and a half days, uh, maximum of twenty people, two trainers, including myself, um, offered through Monroe Institute. There'll be another one in uh, February. It's a graduate program there, so people need to have gateway right. or something like that first. But uh, I'm real pleased to see it work virtually since Monroe Institute, much like Vegas, workshops right now residentially are, are on hold with COVID. <clears throat> um, and we have you found that there was a... Oh, sorry, continue. We actually did the last one during this election week, and people were still able to focus and raise the energy while all the world was thinking about all our politics. And uh, so that was kind of a nice way to spend that week. That is, that is fantastic. So two, so two questions. Uh, first thing that, come, that comes to, to my mind is when, how does the process of psychokinesis work from the first person perspective when you're when you're about to do it do you first raise energy and then create an intention is that intention in the form of a thought or a feeling how does the whole thing work of actually getting a spoon to bend or influencing a slot machine we're not totally sure uh princeton engineering anomalous research laboratory studied this with very extensive. One study was 12 and a half million trials. And they wrote a number of theoretical physicist pick papers on how this may work, you know, and it does seem beyond Newtonian physics, if you will. And those papers are online in their, uh, in their archives. Uh, what it feels like as an individual would be that, um, I usually will have meditated ahead of time on a particular target, okay? If that's a, a healing intention or a target on dice or a slot machine or bending metal or growing seeds, whatever the target might be. And so you're visualizing ahead of time doing this and with very clear intention. And within that, you're having to let go of limiting beliefs such as nothing good comes easy, no pain, no gain, would be two you want to get rid of if you want to do instant healing, okay? And you're, uh, you're having to deal with emotional beliefs um, where a lot of people coming to the class might first start saying, I'm afraid I'm the only one not being able to bend the spoon. But when you go deeper, they're afraid they, they might be able to because that's going to change their whole belief system and their feeling of nature of reality. So you're having to gentle the beliefs. And one of the best ways is to get out of your head and into your heart. Okay. 
that gets you out of ego. So um, after the meditation, I may then do something that would ground me very much to the earth energies and to the here now present moment, um, because meditation by itself can make you spacey. So I might do a little rock music dancing, go out in nature, um, you know, that kind of thing. Then the next step is to open my heart. And for most people, we have, uh, I've done, uh, I think it's about nine meditations now that are about 35 minutes long, designed to open the heart. There's a heart series, healing heart, abundant heart, ocean heart, forgiving heart. So we'll use something like that with binaural beat technology that we can talk about that allows people who have never meditated in 10 minutes to get relaxed and in another 10 to get into an expanded state of consciousness. And within there, uh, beginning to really focus on opening their heart and having a lot of loving feelings flowing. And then with that, uh, say, connecting that into your heart, the earth energies and then energies from spirit into your heart, we form like almost a big X. Um, and that's the ideal state. So if we go to a dice table, for example, if we're feeling one with everybody, gratitude, abundance, feeling grounded and connected to the earth, feeling connected to spirit, we're likely to be rewarded with money within seconds. If you go into greed, fear, ego, the money gets withdrawn. And I think I'll comment here that psychokinesis is a natural ability we have but natural doesn't necessarily mean easy. Uh, mm. So what do I mean? Sleep is natural. So how do you go to sleep? You feel tired, so you're motivated to go to sleep. Then you have the intention, gee, I think I'll go to sleep. And then you think of something else and let go of the intention. And usually you'll fall asleep 10, 20 minutes, right? Well, if I put you on TV and I said, okay, if you fall asleep in the next half hour, in front of this audience of 10 million people, I'll give you a million dollars, you probably couldn't fall asleep. Now there's too much pressure. Now there's too much ego. There's too much monitoring. Am I asleep yet? Right? Yep. And it would be difficult. Psychokinesis is similar that, um, and energy healing and manifestation also, that you can't overcook it. You can't be too much efforting but you have to have clarity of intent and then let go. So on dice, it might be, oh, if we put 25 cents on the dice table, you'd be relaxed. $25, maybe not so relaxed. $2,500, definitely not so relaxed. And healers find that too. Like if you had a headache, I might say, oh, gee, I think I can take that away by just touching your shoulder and it might go away. But if a person said to me they have a serious illness, my ego is going to get in there. Oh, this is important. I better not mess up, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the training we did in the Vegas Adventure Workshops was into a more enlightened way of living because you could notice instant feedback whether you were in greed or fear or ego versus in open heart oneness consciousness. And... Um, as you raise the money level or other people counting on you, you begin to be able to practice with your ego how to not kill it, but to make it your friend and make it kind of a soft voice on the side and more your heart wisdom, your heart's consciousness would be what's driving the experience. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. But in the... Like for example, if I if if I was to bend a spoon right now, mm -hmm. I wouldn't do that because it's on video, and of course, people can say if it's on video, it's it's false. But if yeah. I was to do if I was to do that right now, uh, I'd get into a high energy state, connect with spirit, ground the energy. Mm -hmm. But the part about sending the intention and then letting go, how does that actually look? So you could uh, first. I'm going to say on the metal bending, I thought it was. A bunch of bull. I did too. Yeah. Till until I, I began, saw it. Yeah, till I began to um, talk to people I very much trusted who said it was real. Then I wrote a, read a book called The Metal Benders by two physicists who showed that under electron microscope, it looks different if it's bent by PK 
than if it was bent by force. And so I was setting up a situation where I began to feel it was possible. So if you tried tonight thinking it's impossible, it's likely not to be possible. You don't have to 100% believe it, but you have to open to the possibility. Once there, somebody will take a spoon and they will uh, yell very strongly, bend and send the intention like a karate chop. Okay, and then let go and the energy will flow. Um, Jack Hawk has done, he was a um, an engineer for McDonnell Douglas and the U.S. government was beginning to worry about people being able to influence the delicate equipment inside a jet, a fighter jet by psychokinesis, and they were starting to study this. So he would have spoon bending parties of 300 people and often had kids there because kids just believe it's possible if you tell them, and theirs would bend first. Once an adult sees that, then theirs was. So it can be nice to do it in a group. Um, when you're holding the metal, it often begins to feel a little warm and oily and then noodle-like, like it's bendable. Uh, or another kind of person will feel like there's a knowing it will bend now. One person will talk to the molecules in the spoon. You got to be in relationship with manifesting, healing, or piquet. And one of the best ways to be in relationship is gratitude. So if you're healing your body, self-healing, you'd want to be in gratitude for that beautiful knee that's taking you so far along. So and now you're, you know, wanting it to be like it was when you were 10 or whatever it is. But you you enter into a loving gratitude space to get connection. So you're needing to connect with the spoon uh, or the fork. One guy having no luck with a very heavy metal fork, uh, and we use the heaviest Oneida steel, stainless steel. He's getting nowhere until he remembered massaging his dog between the pads of his feet and how much the dog liked that. When he did, the tines just bent, okay? Another lady would talk to the molecules and say, would you begin to dance for me in a way that would allow you to bend. Uh, someone else, after a deep meditation, might hold the uh, fork or spoon near their tanchen, their energy center or their heart, and feel movement there. Um, but there's an intention and then letting go. That allows the energy to flow. You might have visualized that energy coming from spirit and earth through your arms, out through the spoon. Uh, but at some point, you got to let go. So women, the way they're raised, often have trouble in that they don't like to form strong intent by yelling bend, or they don't like destroying silverware. But they often bend first. And the guys have trouble because they're going left-braining it. Is it bending yet? Is it bending yet? Am I imagining it? Am I doing it as a physical force? Is it real? And they have to get that chatter out of the way, and then they can bend well. Um, but we've had um, a woman say with so much arthritis, she could barely hold a fork and yet bend beautifully. 80-year-old um, women, you know, very frail physically, bend the bowl up and curl it of a spoon. Um, lots of good things. But tell you do it yourself, you're probably going to have doubts whether it's real or not. And uh, we encourage people to bring their own silverware so they know I'm not pre-treating the silverware somehow. And um, the first time I tried it, nothing. And the guy who's a great energy healer came behind my back and just put his hand behind my heart chakra, and it felt like rubber. It just bent. And then, uh, then wow. I knew it was possible, and then I still struggled for a while until I had to do it in front of a group. PK, psychokinesis, is results-driven. When it's real important to do, it will. Like a woman lifting a car off their kid, you know, if the child was underneath the tire. Um, they're not strong enough to physically lift the car. So that might be a PK event. We, that's not one we use in experiments, right? Um, of course. But... Um, there's that sense of uh, let's make this fun 
and yet serious. So there's some reason why are we doing it? To get a free drink in a bar to show off would be low motivation. To uh, help you understand your power as a human being and how this may help the world might be a high, more elevated uh, motivation. And with those, usually it will go well. So I don't bend in front of friends like a dog and pony show, you know. But I know one time my daughter um, brought home a guy who I didn't like him very much, his vibe, the first time he came in the house. So I grabbed a fork and I just said, have her home and by 10 o'clock and kind of bent all the fork to heck. And he goes, oh, okay, sir. And he brought her home early. Okay. I had motivation at that time. So. Um, there's this place, there's something called random number generators. They're picking heads and tails, ones and zeros, a thousand times a second, and it should come out 50-50. And when you use PK and apply that energy, you can get a long streak of ones or zeros. And um, a guy I like has written a book recently, Herb Metz, um, called the selection effect. What he found, he's very dedicated. He worked at the Princeton labs. He did three experiments, each a million trials long of his own, I think. And uh, he'd find this place where say the equivalent of rolling 10 heads in a row on a coin. At that point, he would begin to fear that the next one would be lousy. And at the same time, he'd fear the next one will be good because the being good would blow his belief system in terms of what's possible, and lousy would equal failure. And at that point is when he would fail. But he saw one time when he was at that point, he just began to think of his grandmother, how much he loved her, and he got through that barrier. And so he began to realize that the heart energy is helpful. Uh, In groups, what we do is, again, we get a double one in six times, we've gotten doubles 85% of the roles after somebody gets a hug. But you can't That is say, incredible. Yeah, but I can't say, Ryan, give me a hug so I can roll a double. That's not genuine. It has to be right? genuine, yeah. It has to be genuine, take your time, and the hug centers and relaxes the person, opens their heart a little more, gets them out of ego, and then they have an easier time. So... Movies like The Secret, you know, they talk a lot about setting the intent through visualization. And that's great. That's important. But the challenge is the letting go. The challenge is all the belief systems that say this is not possible. uh, And if it were not for me. um, And they hit our attitudes about power. um, Even though, you know. Jesus himself said, you can do what I do and more. Uh, We're taught in most religions that that would be sacrilegious to think we were that powerful. Mm. We should be humble and not the true meaning of humility, which means we're one with all and, you know, and we're not just out there as an individual ego, but more of these false humility of, you know, I'm not worth much. I can't do anything. So, it can be uh, real interesting to learn this stuff, Ryan, in terms of how it affects your life in many ways. Um, yeah, one of the interesting comments I, I heard you make, I think on a, I can't recall what specific show it was, but you were taught the subject that was being addressed was people creating the lives that they want or being, being able to live the lives of their dreams. And you mentioned that there were a lot of spiritual people, fine people, great people, but they just don't really want to be here. There's something in their belief system that blocks the grounding to the earth dimension. Can you can you address that? Yeah, so I do meet people in uh, religious communities and also new age communities where they are uh, very much in a, on a spiritual path, but their health is not well or their finances or their relationships. And what seems to be missing is that grounding. They don't fully want to be here It's a hard planet. It's a tough little planet to be here right now. And like uh, Utoli said, the power of now, really fully embracing being in this body at this time, in this place, 
and be fully present. So that's one of the paradoxes at Monroe Institute. It's a place known for people who would like to go out of body, but a lot of the people that go there end up being in body fully for the first time. And uh, signs of that would be feeling very connected to spirit, connected to earth, feeling vibrant, joyous, um, powerful, centered. We're out of out of body slightly or not out of phase. Um, is you thinking too much about the past and the future? You might feel kind of spacey energy, foggy in your thinking, those kinds of things. So um, this psychokinesis work can be very good because it gives you instant feedback. Uh, where I could be thinking negative thoughts for three weeks before I got sick. Or I could be wanting to get my soulmate into my life for six months and nothing happens. And I get discouraged. I don't know if I'm doing it right. The, the um, feedback, I got a home study course called Sync Creation that goes into all the psychokinesis healing and all that. S-Y-N-C for synchronize, meaning the brain and the heart. And then the word creation.com is the website. Um, and within there, we're really working on exercises that deal with what we might call the shadow, getting rid of those feelings of guilt, fear, lack, um, and then building up great energy uh, in the heart and then learning how to focus intention, letting go. Um, and Besides the psychokinesis stuff, which some people are attracted to taking the course, others for healing or manifesting, people begin to feel like they are much more in body and much more effective in their manifesting. So if you're living from really good high heart energy, I'll give an example. I was, you know, that's where I tend to be in my energy is I had a thought, gee, I'd like to take my wife to Paris. She's never been, and I love uh, the Van Gogh room at the Musée d'Orsay. I can sit there for hours and just be in tears at the beauty of Van Gogh's paintings. And so I put that, I had that thought, and by the end of the day, I had an email, would you like to train a workshop in France? I'd never had that offer, so I said, great. And then I thought, gee, I'd like to go over first class round trip because that'd be romantic, we'll take my wife. By the end of the day, I had free round-trip tickets by a friend of mine who said, Delta, this is a while ago, was going out of business then, he thought, and going into bankruptcy. And so he had a couple million miles on Delta, and he said, I'll give you two first-class tickets for free. And um, we went over there. And what I do is when I intend something like this, I say, I'd like to go to France. This and something better for not only me, but everyone. And so it resulted in probably 10 or 20 workshops in Europe, including one in Germany where we had this big healing around the energy of the Holocaust, another one in Cyprus where there were 13 nations present, and there were some UN people that were trying to negotiate the Cypriot-Greek conflict, and they were saying, gee, these meditation techniques may help us do that. Um, so it has all these unintended good benefits for the world, not just yourself. And so that's the kind of flow you can get into if you get in this high energy and live like, like a lifelong yoga from, from open heart energy and learning how to deal with intenting and letting go. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's how do you stay in? Because you can have a good meditation in the morning or mm -hmm. your mind's very peaceful. There's a lot of stillness or the, the heart energy is there in the session. But what you're describing is being in that all the time. How do you get to being in that all the time? Is that something that just took took you years, or what's your take on that? With the uh, types of technology we have now, brainwave patterning technology um, that are in the CDs, for example, or downloads that I've developed, you can get there much more rapidly than years. Um, it takes some commitment, usually. Uh, most people find themselves avoiding broadcast news, avoiding a lot of uh, social media that might be generating fear, um, beginning to be more in the beauty of nature more often, um, 
taking better care of their body in terms of organic food. Doesn't have to be vegan or mac- microbiotic or whatever. That's fine. Right, right. But I know plenty of meat eaters who are doing fine on that, from my yeah, point yeah. of view. Um, but that you're um, you're treating yourself pretty well, body, mind, and spirit. And um, the idea of meditating each day, at least for a half hour or so, uh, I think can add to that. Uh, and practicing this heart opening, like you say, I can show a picture to most people of puppies or kitty cats being born, soldiers returning from war, reuniting with families, and people's hearts will open at the love there. We're naturally loving beings. But then the first phone call, um, like my cell phone broke yesterday, okay? And um, the challenge gets to be then as you're on hold for a half hour and you don't get the answer you might want to stay in a loving space. If you do, I'm going to put a plug in for Verizon. I went today in that loving space. I did a, a, a CD that I call Liquid Luck that combined, that is sort of taking a taste of all of this for 20 years of experience on my part and puts it in a 35-minute meditation where you're feeling a imaginary vial in your meditation a container full of golden liquid that then you put in happiness gratitude, abundance, compassion to get you out of ego, praise for the world in right order, uh, feelings of good fortune. So I took a drink of that, went to Verizon. They gave me a free phone, even though my phone was five years old and a better one than I had before. And it was pleasant and uh, I was first in line in the door um, and was in and out quickly. Um, So... The more positive things that happen like that, it renews your feelings of goodness about human beings and human nature. Of course, even though I'm wearing a mask in there, I was going in smiling with my eyes, thanked him uh, for his help in advance, felt gratitude that he was there, genuinely, uh, rather than, darn it, my phone broke at the worst time, all my contacts are there, what happened to my pictures, if they can't get this to the work, you know, I've never backed it up on on the internet. So, you know, most people go to, oh, gee, I'm screwed, you know, in a situation like that, and they lose that heart that might have opened with the puppies, okay? Or they lose it slowly during the day just by, oh, I got to do this and call that person and do this next and take out the garbage and fix the leak under the sink and, you know, and many people now have a challenge like they've been out of work for six months. Yeah, of course. Or they're dealing with serious illness in themselves or family. That's when it gets challenging to open the heart. But if you do it, that's the miracle space. I have a saying on my wall that I developed that I like so much that I've been telling people for years. So somebody made it into a wood plaque for my office. And it says, fear is expensive, love is priceless, choose wisely. Oh, I love that. So I look at that that. a lot. And I'll look at that right before I'm going to do something that may have fear in it. Like, even minor fear, like how long am I going to be on hold with the phone company? Okay. And uh, by taking just a minute or two to reset your energy, think of something that you do love, that you're grateful for. Um, so that your heart is at least somewhat open as you make that call, you might get through in two minutes versus two hours. And and so it's a cycle of feedback. The casino is faster, but life gives feedback cycles too. Um, Being a master at PK, are you surprised by all of your manifestations? You have gratitude for all of them, or are there some that were just wildly beyond your expectations and if there are uh, can you share a story of one of your most notable uh, manifestations or psychokinetic experiences well i'm going to go back first when you said joe you might be in this all of the time i'm not um i try to be in it most of the time and i have regular routines during the day how i start my day i take a nap midday that i call contacting the mothership I, you know, go down meditatively as I nap. And then my wife and I have been meditating at four o'clock in the afternoon since COVID has hit. 
with an agreement not to talk about politics or COVID after four. So helpful. <laughs> yeah. So I have breakpoints to reset. Okay. Um, some of the things I'm most delighted with is the healing work. There was uh, a woman who I love very much. I talked to people about her being close to a living saint, as I've met, because she had probably 40 dogs and cats strays that she took care of in her house. And she was she let me tell the story. So I'll, I, she put in a book of hers. This is Rosie McKnight. She wrote Cosmic Journeys. Anyway, she was probably in her late 70s and had had congestive heart failure and the flu and been hospitalized a long time, came home just in terrible shape. And we said, Rosie, would you like us to do a healing for you? And she said, yeah. And so we did it, and she didn't know when we would. We are, The group I was with was about 60 miles from where she was. She heard a voice say, welcome. She laid down and felt like angels were working on her heart. And she woke up two hours later, and there was a big basket of fruit that Monroe Institute had delivered, Get Well, Rosie. We didn't know they were going to do that. And she felt so good, she stripped off all her clothes in mid-70s and put the saran wrap around herself, the pink wrapping from the gift, and danced around her house and then said, with this energy, what should I do? And her guidance said, you could clean your house. Imagine 20 cats and dogs with no kitty litter being changed for months, right? So she cleaned top to bottom till midnight, woke up the next day, a whole new lease on life, started her next book, and came up to thank us. And her aura was the size of a building, and she hadn't driven in months. Um, so I love when those things happen. When, when we sent the energy to Rosie, I didn't know. I thought, you know, healing is sacred. You know, sometimes you don't know if healing helps a person leave the physical or stay mm. or just provide a little comfort or what. And, um, and we got to note that. You know, my mom had Alzheimer's, and that was the one thing she didn't want to have. Uh, when she died, I connected with her and said, Mom, what was up with that? You know, she had been in a rest home for a year or so. And she said, well, I couldn't figure out how to get rid of all my religious guilt except to forget everything. And I didn't want to take it with me into spirit. Your dad and I have been ma we're married 64 years, and he had more time on the planet. He needed to stay. And I wanted to give him time to adjust to me leaving and time to learn how to cook and clean and make new friends and all that. And so my gentle leaving versus sudden death from a heart attack allowed him to not have so much of a shock and allowed him to stay and do well. And she went on for a half hour. Oh, Alzheimer's was a good plan for her. Okay. But from her ego mind, Alzheimer's is never a good plan. Okay. So all we're talking about in healing, we want to have humility about what might be going on. We might be greater than we're aware of consciously. Um, that said, um, I love doing creative projects. When I did this uh, exercise called Liquid Luck that I mentioned, I'd been working with another company doing two meditation CDs, and it took about a year to two years to do each one. You know, there's a lot of bureaucracy, and you got to get in line. And I decided for this one, I was going to do it on my own. And uh, intuitively, the first thing I thought of is to call, call the local guitar shop. Didn't know why, so I did. Talked to him about what I was planning, and he said, oh, I know a guy who has a great sound lab for your voicing. I went to him. He knew a great place that produces CDs at the time. And in two weeks, I and also found uh, uh, somebody who uh, was a great artist for the cover art. And in two weeks, I had the CD in my hand. And, um, and it's sold worldwide now with really good results. And so, you know, I planted um, some pine trees that are about two inches long. They're called pine slips when I got where I'm living now 40 years ago. Now they're a great pine forest. I wanted to 
hear the wind in the pines, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so when people think of manifesting a lot of times, I think, gee, I'd like to manifest a car or whatever. And it's fine. But also think about what you would like to start that might take you on a big journey. The first Vegas workshop I did, I thought would be a one-off, one time. Thought nobody would come, but I was surprised when 20 people came to the first one. If you had told me then I would do 100 of them, I wouldn't have believed it. Yeah. So some of the ones that I, I like the most took many years to really see them flower. You know, and uh, to me, that's neater than, you know, scratching off a ticket and winning 20 grand on a lottery, lottery because it benefits other people and helps you learn and grow on the way. Um, so does that answer for you? So, yeah, I've, I've got a, you know, since you're a, a psychologist and, and therapist and I know you, you've lost some important people in your life. My father passed away when when I was 19. This this issue of dealing with losing a parent or losing a child is the pain is so deep for so yeah. many people and even my family it's been it's been almost a decade and it's still something that that really hurts so much yes um how can people get to a place where they are truly healed from that like the pain isn't there in the heart anymore. The heart isn't cold. They're not shut down. The trauma's gone because some people, you know, that person passed away in their arms or they had to see that person pass yeah. away. Very difficult thing to deal with. Yeah. What's your advice on that? So the things we've been talking about this first hour, um, I wrote a book called Inner Vegas, Creating Miracles, Abundance and Health. And then a book called Liquid Luck with the stories of the Liquid Luck CD success. The uh, the, I also have written a book that's quite different called Heaven is for Healing. And this came off my brother's suicide um, Jeez, sorry. about 20 plus years ago. And what happened for me is it felt like my heart broke. Yep. You know, he was my best friend. And I had to function for my psychotherapy clients. And my young daughter loved him dearly. She was six years old. She was shattered. She... Um, carried around a sickness bag for months at school. You know, uh, she was very anxious about everybody's separation, couldn't go to sleep. So I was functioning for family and things, but I found that I had sort of closed my heart off and realized I was carrying an image of the broken heart. I'm going to take a sip of water here. And that wasn't serving me. <clears throat> so I thought about it a good while, and I realized, you know, that's kind of a myth. As long as we're still alive, our heart is not broken. It's still pumping, right? And um, I developed more of a myth that worked for me that I called ocean heart, which would be a, like your heart is a vast ocean of love. And say, Ryan, I wanted you in my life. It'd be like bringing you in fully like a hand in water, no resistance, fully enveloped. And then if you left, the water goes back to complete, perhaps losing a drop. And so it's a different image. And that helped me through the death of my other brother, John, and my both my parents and many other losses since then without having the savageness of the loss. People who have studied the loss uh, find that one of the reasons people so feel so badly when so they lose someone is that they're shutting their heart down to protect themselves from ever being hurt this way again, and then the world becomes dull and bereft of joy. Sooner than they would have missed that person if they just that person went to Europe for six months, you know, on a joyful trip. They feel that loss within a day of knowing that person died, okay? And, um, and a lot of that is projection of I won't see that person in the future and all. And, you know, it's honest. I've been through it. It's, it's heart-rending. Heart but you can have this other image of ocean heart. So that's why I developed a CD or, and download called the Ocean Heart Meditation to use the binaural beat patterns and things to put people in a deep meditative state, develop this image of an ocean heart, 
and then fill that ocean heart with everything that you love from the foods to the animals to the beauty of nature and whatever and then with that full heart pull into awareness something that is troubling like a loss or a betrayal and meeting it now with this ocean heart image and many times people feel substantial healing then you know whether the loss was last week or 10 years ago um, suicide losses are tough because there's woulda coulda shoulda we, yeah. you know maybe if we knew things differently sometimes other losses because you know why does it happen to this good person like my brother john got als which you know you gradually lose ability to swallow and breathe and he was such a beautiful generous wonderful guy and he died fairly young so you ponder that other losses you know my wife lost a child of brain cancer at six years old um you know and you you see you know how that happens it put her on a spiritual journey. She put learned about Monroe Institute um, and things there. But other people with the death of a child end up alcoholic or bitter or divorced or um, never loving again. Um, and we have to have compassion because you can see why they did that. And, um, and their background, they may not have those inner strengths, old soul strengths, if you will. Or in the dark night of the soul, you pull deep and you do find something that works. When my brother died, I know initially, one of the first things that did remain was the beauty of nature. Um, pretty much everything else, you know, the joy of Christmas was horrible. <laughs> the, you know, uh, people arguing about petty stuff was horrible in the beginning stages of grief. And um, it was months before I cried, you know, stopped crying every day. But um, something will carry you through, you know, if you look through it. It might be as basic as your breath or the beauty of nature. Uh, but then some of these meditations like Ocean Heart can help people move along. And the book Heaven is for Healing, though, was written after my brother's suicide because it talks about how every drop of experience here is treasured, how none of that's lost, and the amazing compassion we're met with on the other side as learning continues over there has helped a lot of people who lost friends in Vietnam or lost parents or lost people not just from suicide. Um, so reading Heaven is for Healing could be helpful as well as the Ocean Art Meditation. But um, um, our culture is is rough on this. We ignore death. We ignore suicide. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've been on 300 radio shows and very popular, wanting to be back and all that. Not to brag. When I did Heaven is for Healing, there were less than six shows, one, two, three, four, five, six, that would allow me on to even talk about suicide. Um, in Europe, they're doing a much better job. Their suicide rate has climbed as well but they have centers to help people prevent it, but also for loved ones who've experienced this. Here it's all buried. And it's also the death is buried. Um, so we, when we feel grief in this cult culture, often the first thing happens is we feel isolated. We may be even kind of embarrassed that we're feeling so emotional and tender and we don't want to bum other people out friends come by and say anything I can do, but they don't say, hey, let me do the dishes for you and bring, you know, a hot dish, not the first week, but for the first month. Um, or, hey, let's go out for a movie. We tend to end up isolated from the community around us with death. And that makes this harder. Um, my brother with ALS, we held him as he died. And his wife and my wife and myself and uh, the message we got from the other side after he died was your energy was so good around his passing that he's months and months ahead on the other side. He was having a little trouble releasing. And I remember he liked this song um, by a woman singing a soaring solo to the song, Were You There When I, you cru They Crucified Our Lord, which is not my favorite song. 
but it moved his heart. So I put it on his computer. And as that song came on with us holding him, he was able to release. And we could feel the room filled with light. Um, so if we did not ignore death and we brought it out of the shadows, this whole process of dying and then grieving afterward would be uh, a much lighter experience, I think, for most people. Um, I've had people around when their loved one died consciously, one woman deeply in love with her husband, and he started to struggle as he was dying. And she said, honey, you can go. And he said, I know, but I think if I stay a little longer, you'll see what I see. And the two doctors in the room and her saw him surrounded by this orb of light and the spirit carried away. I talked to her two weeks later and she was more in a ecstasy state than a grief state. Um, Beautiful. And I, and I thought maybe that shock, but it stayed that way even months later that the, her witnessing his dying was so uh, profound that it really changed her grief. And, and so our grief now with COVID is horrible. If somebody dies alone in the hospital, you can't even say goodbye by holding them. Um, Devastating. Yeah. And so um, it's a cha challenging time. But um, anyway. What well, wanted to ask you about, as a psychologist, of course, you have, you have a background on this. When a, when a specific trauma or a painful event happens in a person's life, there, there seems to be... Um, it's as if a part of their mind can, or a part of their personality, a part of their essence just is trapped in, in that specific point in time. Mm -hmm. um, and we find even as, as young guys, it, it seems that we're fighting the demons of our past a lot. We're not mm -hmm. able to just get past certain things that happened, you know, decades ago. Uh, what's yeah. your advice on that? I'd, I'd say, yeah. I mean, it can be even something, uh... Like, say you're in second grade and you're coloring, and the teacher comes by and says, Johnny, color in the lines. You'll never be an artist. You might shut down your creativity um, just with that one statement, you know, and your parents never even know about it. And you forget about it. Um, and then there's those issues where you feel you were betrayed or you betrayed yourself or someone else. Um, uh, so I do have one called the forgiving heart. Because, you know, to try to to understand um, how you can actively decide to let go. Um, Monroe has a program, Monroe Institute, called Lifeline, where we do soul rescue work, where we're working with people between after a life where they're not able to let go. But in that program, a lot of times things in the individuals who are still here in body taking the program come up that they can rescue back um, from trauma. Uh, in the Monroe system, they use numbers for levels of consciousness. And at 15 and beyond, we would say we're beyond linear time as we usually understand it. From that freedom in a meditative state, you can go back in time and really be an angel at the time of the trauma in your life and talk to yourself about how you'll get through it and even rewrite the script of that. Uh, that motorcycle accident I mentioned uh, almost tore my foot off. Uh, there's no cells in my body 40 years later that were then there then. But the injury could still be there. What keeps it there? There's a book called The Urban Shaman by Sergi King. It's a Hawaiian healer shaman tradition. He feels these memories are mainly held in the emotional body. And he gives an example of a surgeon was doing a dinner party and cut himself pretty deeply on the on the palm of his hand. So he imagined making the motion successfully without cutting his hand, looked down in 20 minutes and it was healed. So I was driving a couple of years later and I branded myself with the cigarette lighter in the car uh, by picking it up on the wrong end when it popped out on the floor. And so I just pretended that I didn't do that, that I picked it up by the right end and the, the flesh had been charred black when, you know, it first happened. Well, I looked down in five minutes, everything was fine, no pain, no charring. So I thought, gee, how about the motorcycle accident 20 years before? And I imagined not hitting the car with the motorcycle, the car hitting me. 
and I could feel things in my body shift and in my emotions and my beliefs shift even 20 years later. Incredible. By rewriting the script from a place of what we call no time. So there are things you can do. And you're right, you know, uh, you have an amazing wealth of time, usually compared to me being 70. Okay, you're younger. <laughs> but we can spend our 20s and teens thinking about the girl we didn't ask out or how she rejected us or the time we got arrested for something stupid or the time our parents were mean to us or the time we didn't make the team or whatever it is. And we're, we're not living so much in the present, but we're living in that past stuff. And using a predict in the future, I'm going to be a mess up because I haven't gotten it together yet. So we fear the future and we're worried about the past. And um, it's actually easier as you get older to be in the present. My dad died at 90 and he said at 90, he said those 74-year-olds were just pups. They don't really know anything yet. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. So, you know, have faith because... As you move along, particularly if you do some of this kind of work, um, I meet people 50 years younger than I am or as far along as I am now because they've applied themselves to consciousness and opening the heart. Um, and things are changing. You know, when I was being raised, most guys are being raised to be able to see their buddies' guts blown out and keep walking in some war. And so we were raised to really stuff our feelings and yep. uh, to toughen up. And uh, our feelings are one of our best guidance systems um, to say, hey, this is still bothering you. You need to forgive it or you need to let go of it or you need to talk to the person and resolve it or whatever, rather than just going all around and around in your head. Um, and if you stuff all that in the body, you begin to get dulled. You know, and you begin to not be aware of what's bugging you from the past. Um, being a psychotherapist for 30 years, I think counseling has a place. Mentors, coaches, people that can say, why are you still holding on to that? Or why do you think that way? And they can show us some loops in our own thinking that can be hard for us to pick up ourselves.